Glad to have each of you with us today. Wonderful day. It's a good day to, because it's Sunday, the best day of the week. It's a day we gather together. It's a day we remember. It's a day we encourage. It's a day we reflect upon what the Lord has done for us. And we're so glad you could be part of that with us as we study and welcome each other to what God has given to us. And if you're visiting with us, we especially want to welcome you. Thank you for being with us today. Our VBS is just two weeks out now. We're getting real close. There's lots of things about ready to happen. And so uh, we're now in the mode where we need to start really participating in some things. So three things you can do. Number one, you can pray. Be praying. Be praying that it will be successful. Be praying that you will come. We can also pass out things. There's all kinds of little cards back there. You can invite neighborhood kids, your grandkids, others to come. And then, of course, the plan yourself. The plan to come. And whether you're an adult or a child, all these things will be helpful for us as we look at some things from the Word of God. His name was Thomas. And Thomas decided for his wife's birthday, he wanted to buy her a computer. Computers are kind of expensive. So he decided to take out a credit card to purchase this computer. So he applied for a credit card, and it came in the mail, and he just sat on it for a little bit. Well, within a few weeks, he got a bill from the credit card company. He owed zero dollars and zero cents. He said, well, you know, I just got this. This is probably at the end of the month. They do this to everybody. He threw it away. The next month, he got another bill from the credit card company, owing zero dollars and zero cents. He threw that one away, too. A couple weeks later, he got another letter from the credit card company. And the letter said, unless he paid his bill, it's going to be turned over to collections. He said, what in the world? So he called the credit card company, and he said, the mistake's on our part, and we apologize. Well, he decided he ought to use his credit card, and maybe that will take care of things. He went to the gas station, and his credit card was denied. He went into a store to buy some things. And the people at the store said, well, your card has been canceled. So he called the credit card company once again, and they again apologized and said the, the fault was on their end, and they apologized once again. Well, thinking about all this, he was getting real frustrated. So he decided to end all this, I'm going to write a check to the credit card company. I'm going to send in a check for zero dollars and zero cents. And he mailed that check in. About three days later, his bank called and said, what in the world have you done? Why do you write a check for zero dollars and zero cents? He went through the whole story and says, because you did that, our software crashed, and we couldn't process any checks that day. A few days later, he got a call from the credit card company. Your check has bounced, and now we're turning you over to collections. So Thomas went to the bank and took out cash, went to an antique store, and bought his wife a typewriter. You know, Thomas had a problem. But when we turn our Bibles to the book of Ephesians, we find a greater problem. The problem isn't anyone else's fault. No one else made a mistake on our behalf. The problem is the choices that we have made. And this leads us to the lesson we're going to talk about, about the subject of grace. Read with me, if you will, Ephesians chapter 2, and the first 13 verses. And from here, we're going to talk about God's marvelous grace. This actually is going to be a two-part lesson. This morning we're going to talk about grace before salvation. I'll mention that in just a minute. And next week, Lord willing, we're going to talk about grace after salvation. 
Grace continues, and we need to understand those things. So beginning in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all were formerly living in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus." And or than ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and the kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 11 says, Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now God, but now Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Immediately, we see three things in this text. He tells us, number one, that we were in a bad way and we could not get out. Listen to the language he uses. He uses the expression dead, dead spiritually. And there's nothing we could do about that. We were separate from Christ. We had no hope and we were without God. And that describes the spiritual condition of all of us because Romans, 3, Romans 6 verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When there is no hope, we walk away. When there's no hope of winning, the team gives up. When there's no hope of passing the test, you just turn the test in because there's no hope. No hope of passing the course, why show up to classes? Because there's no hope. And when there's no hope in life, we call the funeral home because there's no more hope. But when there's no hope spiritually, the destination is hell. And that's the condition this passage begins in. But then the second thing it brings to our minds is that God did something amazing for us. Once again, notice verse 5 and verse 6. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him. There's a spiritual resurrection taking place here done by God. And so what God did, no one else could do. What God did, we could not do ourselves. What God did was do something that we caused a problem. We were in that mess, but God came and saved us. That has been the history of mankind since the first pages of the Bible. Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit. The serpent went away. Where was God? He came and clothed them and offered the hope of Jesus. All through the pages of the Bible, through the pages of our life, that story is the same thing. Satan causes the problem. We listen to Satan and go off with him, but God comes and makes a difference. 
And the third aspect of this in Ephesians 2, which we're going to focus on, is this was accomplished by grace through faith. And so we're going to talk about this expression in Ephesians 2, verse 8. This idea of amazing grace. We're going to sing that song in just a moment. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I'm blind, but now I see. So grace bothers a lot of us. It bothers us because we hear the religious community misusing this word and abusing this word. It bothers us because sometimes we don't understand this word. It bothers us and sometimes we don't want to use this word as Ephesians chapter 2 says. When somebody says, are you saved? Yes. How are you saved? We immediately go to baptism. We immediately go to, I go to church. Those are our answers. The Ephesian answers three times. It reminds us we are saved by grace. And so when we talk about this expression, saved by grace through faith, the grace is God's part. And that's what we're going to emphasize at the beginning here as we talk about this concept of being saved by grace. When we use the word grace, it really means favor. It's the idea of someone stooping down and helping someone out. You might have a little child or a grandchild, and they can look about to your kneecaps. So you stoop down to be eyeball to eyeball. That's the concept of grace. It is favor. It is kindness from heaven. It is a deliberate decision to give something good to someone who does not deserve it. Early in the book of Genesis, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. That's the idea of grace. Now, four things we need to understand about grace. Number one, grace is God's choice. Grace is God's choice. And when we use this expression as used in the book of Ephesians in chapter 2, grace is not forgiveness. Grace is the avenue upon which God gives us the forgiveness. We need to appreciate that God does not owe you forgiveness. Now, by federal law, if you work for a company and have an agreement what they're to pay you, come payday, they have to pay you. When I was in between college, I used to work for this landscaper. This guy named was Mort, and he's a funny-looking guy, a real short guy, big old whiskers, and his pockets were just full of nuts and bolts and screwdrivers, and he'd reach in there and pull out a grease-looking old paycheck, all wrinkled up, and hand it to us and says, boys, I sure would appreciate you not cashing this until Wednesday. He didn't have any money, and he was paying us that way. But, but we need to see grace is not that way. God does not have to forgive you. Did I get that? God doesn't owe you anything. And so when you mess up, when you commit a sin, when you violate the will of God, you can't say, well, God's going to forgive me because he has to. No, he doesn't have to. And that really opens our eyes to what forgiveness really is. And so over in the book of Matthew, Jesus shows us this picture of a man who owed 10,000 talents. He had no way of repaying that. And in verse 27 of Matthew 18, it says, The Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him that debt. That's the idea. And so when we think about grace being God's part, God always does his part well. God always does his part thoroughly. God always does his part completely. God never leaves us hanging halfway. 
God doesn't say, I'll go just a little bit, but the rest is up to you. Because if the rest was up to you, we couldn't do it. God doesn't treat us like the game Wordle. Some of you playing Wordle? Start off every day, five letters. You start guessing. Put in a word. Nope. Put in another word. Oh, I got that letter. Now you play another word. You keep, you keep guessing and guessing and guessing until it has to be this word. God doesn't play that way. God doesn't play hide and seek with you. I'm up here. See if you can find me. He doesn't do that. He seeks to save that which is lost. And that again reminds us how powerful and how interesting it is to have this relationship with God as we walk with him. Secondly, grace isn't all there is to save us. This came out of the Reformation movement in the 1500s. To fight the concept of Catholicism, Luther and others came up with the slogan, grace alone or grace solo, grace only is what a lot of people say. I'm saved by grace and nothing else. And that, that abuse of that word has caused a lot of people a lot of trouble. Give you the idea of riding on a roller coaster. You know, when we lived in Kansas City, there was a big theme park there. And they had this roller coaster called the Mamba, named after a black African snake. Went up 305 feet. I rode it one time in my life. One time. It goes up 305 feet and then just stops. It stops because you wave to the angels because you're so close. You're about to touch them. And it reminds everybody over the age of 40, you just made a major mistake in your life. And you can't get off. But what you do on a roller coaster is you sit down, you hold on to the bar, up and down, right and left, all over the place you go, and then it brings you back where you want to go. That's how the religious community looks at grace. I sit down, and God's going to take me left, right, up, down, all over life's journey, and when I'm done, he's going to end me in heaven. And all I have to do is just hang on and enjoy the ride. Wonderful concept. But our verse we're looking at is we're saved by grace through faith. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Three times in the book of Acts, this question is asked. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 16. What must I do? And every single time, the answer is never nothing. Just hold on and enjoy the ride. God has done everything for you. If that be the case, then everybody's going to heaven. And the Bible doesn't teach that. If it doesn't teach that, then God has chosen certain ones, and that's favoritism, and the Bible doesn't teach that. There's more to grace than just God's part, and we'll see that here in just a moment. Now, in combating that, if you will, turn your Bibles with me to the book of Romans in chapter 7. You see, I believe a lot in our fellowship give mouth service to grace. I believe in grace. But we actually practice perfection. And that causes all kinds of guilt. Imagine a college football game. Imagine the Super Bowl. The other team's up by one point. There's one second on the clock. You are the field goal kicker. If you make it, you win the game, you are the hero. If you miss it, you're the loser of the game and everyone's going to be mad at you. 
And here you and I are on the game of life, and I've got to get this straight, or I'm not going to go to heaven. And once again, the book of Romans, if you will, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, and let's begin with about verse, let me grab it here real fast, Romans chapter 7, and let's begin down here in about verse 15. He says, for that which I'm doing, I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I like to do, and I'm doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it's good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for wishing is present in me, but the doing the good is not. For the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil I do not wish. Now do you see what he's saying? And there's a lot of Christians who say, Roger, that's my autobiography. What I ought to do, I don't. And what I know is wrong, I do that. Now I want you to understand, Paul here is not writing about a Christian. This is not the life of a Christian. This is the life of that field goal kicker. This is the life of perfection. Here I have to do this, I have to do this, I have to do this, and I cannot do that, and I cannot go to heaven. When you go to the very next chapter, look at the first two verses of chapter 8. There is therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life is Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. Are we saved by grace? The answer is yes. Do we have to apologize for that? No. Do we have to put asterisk by the word grace and say, now don't forget, we got to do this, do this, and do this. Can we read Ephesians 2 verse 8 as the Holy Spirit gave it to us? By grace we are saved through faith. That's what God says. And so we need to see how important that is. Grace isn't all there is. But we need to understand perfection isn't the answer either. Thirdly, as we think about this, grace isn't looking the other way. That, again, is a problem people have with this. And the danger of this is it just makes light of sin. We say, well, you know, I said a little fib yesterday. Or I told a little white lie. And what we do is we just got the idea, well, God will take care of it. God's grace is there. And we don't get serious about these things. Grace is not looking the other way. In the King James Version, in Acts 17, verse 30, it says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. It kind of gives you the idea that God sees you doing something wrong, kind of winks at you and just looks the other way. I'm going to pretend what you're doing isn't there. That's not biblical. God never looks away at sin. God never says, I'm going to, give, I'm going to let you do that, and it's not going to count against you. Sin is rebellion against God. And so grace is not looking the other way. Romans chapter 6 and other passages reminds us of this. The Bible teaches we can lose our salvation. And so the fourth thing we need to appreciate this is that grace always makes us feel unworthy. And it should. It should. And the reason is because of the word enough. You cannot be good enough. You cannot go to church enough. You cannot give enough. There's nothing enough that you can do to take care of your sins. 
nothing. And what also makes us feel this way is grace doesn't make sense. That prodigal who came home did not deserve a feast. He deserved the beating, but he didn't get that. That lost sheep that was put around the neck, as Dylan talked about, that, was, that the shepherd found. He didn't deserve to be carried home in compassion. He should have a kind of rope hung around him and be drug home. He'll never run away again. But that's not the way God does this. So right here in our Ephesians passage, it reminds us that the salvation, this grace, is a gift of God. Romans chapter 5 would say, For if the transgression of one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 9 verse 15, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So when you and I get to heaven... It's not going to say, I knew I was going to make it. I always knew I made it. I never missed church unless one time in my life I had surgery. I never missed church. Not good enough. You ain't going to make it on that. You're not going to be able to walk up there and say, you know what, God? I preached over 40 years of my life. I knew I was coming in. Wrong. That's not good enough. God, you know, I knew I was going to be up here because I married a wonderful woman. We have wonderful kids. We always took them to VBS. I knew I'd go to heaven. Wrong answer. The answer is, thank you, God, because I don't deserve to be here. Thank you, God. I haven't been what I should have been. Thank you, God. I'm not good enough, but you left me in. That's salvation by grace. And what that does is that just lets the air out of that balloon that's around our head sometimes. We get the idea that we're pretty good people. Look, it's a Sunday morning. We're here. Where's your neighbors? In bed asleep. Look, we're here. Where's the whole world out? Out there committing sin. We're here. We're great people. We're going to heaven. Be careful. It's not because you're in this building on Sunday morning. It's because of the grace of God. And that's some things that we need to remind ourselves. And so every story of conversion is a story of grace. We talk about Jonah. Why did God give Jonah a second chance? When swaddled by that big fish, why didn't God just say, big fish, enjoy your lunch. And just let him digest Jonah. He gave Jonah a second chance. When we think about this prodigal son, he was given a second chance. The woman caught in the very act of adultery was given a second chance. Over and over and over, that's the idea of God's grace. God believes you are worth saving. That's what's behind this grace. Let's put a couple verses on this, if you will. 2 Corinthians, if you will. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his poverty you might become rich. He was rich because he's God in heaven. He came to earth, that means he was poor. He took us sinners and saved us, and that made us rich. Again, the gift of God through these things. In the book of Revelation, chapter 1, as John sees Jesus in this vision, he says in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, 
the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. How did he do that? He did that because he believes you are worth saving. Now, the world doesn't. Community doesn't. But God does. And that's the basis of that. And God's love is what brings us home. And that's the story of the prodigal. God brings us home. And God did more than just save us. He changed us. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Yes, we were blind, but now we see. We were rebellious, but now I'm a servant. I was broken, but now I'm whole. We don't stay that way. We are changed by the grace of God. Now, that leads us to the second aspect of our lesson. Grace is God's part. Faith is our part. What happens if I have no faith? I won't be saved. Salvation comes by grace through faith. God has done his part. He's done it perfectly. He's done it without any changes need to be done. Now you have a part. I have a part. And that is faith. And so what do we mean by faith? Faith is more than just knowing something. Biblically, it's an action word. And what it really means is it's doing what God tells you to do. Whatever God tells you to do, you do. That's faith. So we look at some examples of this. In Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen and reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household. God told him to build the ark. He believed it. He built. That's Bible faith. Bible faith will do whatever God tells you to do. Once again, the book of Hebrews. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive. God says it, you do it. That's faith. Now, the world today just says, well, faith is just knowing something. I know there's a George Washington. I know there's this, and I know there's that, but I don't do anything. What we're seeing here is as God uses the word, you obey him. You do whatever he tells you to do. Hebrews 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. Why? Because God told him to do. On and on, we could walk through Hebrews 11 and show you example after example. Through the life of Moses, through the life of Joshua, all through these people. And what we see is that this is what God wants us to do. I'm saved by grace through faith. The faith is my part. The faith is doing what God says. So when Jesus says, he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's a promise. Now, do I have to be baptized to go to heaven? Well, what does biblical faith mean? God tells me to do something. I don't do it. Am I going to be saved? If God told Noah, y'all build this boat, and Noah told his wife, you know, Mrs. Noah, it's going to rain. It's going to rain over this whole world. I think we all just pray. Had he not built the ark, he would have drowned like everyone else. His faith compelled him to obey God. If God was to tell you, learn French language, what would we do? Well, we'd get those little headsets, and we'd be practicing each other. We, we, we'd say, yes, yes. We'd practice and practice. Why? 
because I want to go to heaven. If God said you had to walk four miles to get to heaven, well, we'd start. Some of us would get to the mailbox and have to sit down for a little bit, but we'd practice and practice and practice if that's what God said. Now, was walking four miles going to get you to heaven? No, it's because it's what God said. If God said, I want you to save $10,000 before you die, well, we'd start eating peanut butter jelly at home more. We'd say, you know what, we can't afford this movie. Why? Because I can save my money up because this is what God said. And if God said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins, do I have to do that? I do if I want to go to heaven because that's what God said. And so when we think about this, faith is a path that we take. It's not just a one-time event. So in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, it says, we walk by faith and not by sight. And again, it's that wonderful concept of what God wants us to do. Well, I want to end with a story about this woman by the name of Tyra. She and her family went to Colorado on a skiing trip. And the most horrific thing happened. Her 13-year-old daughter was killed in a skiing accident. Parents' worst nightmare, got to plan a funeral. But in the goodness of their heart, the 13-year-old was young and healthy. They decided to donate her organs. And Tyra, the mother, made one request. She said, after the transplant is done, I would like to listen to my daughter's heart one more time. And so they found a woman by the name of Phyllis. She was so sick, all she could do was stay in bed. And they found out that she was compatible. And an operation took place in Houston. And Tyra flew from Phoenix to Houston. And she listened to her daughter's heart. And we have a hymn we sing called, Listen to Our Heart. And what we're realizing is that it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. When Christ who is our life. And so what this sermon, I hope, opens our eyes to is how much God loves you. And it helps us to realize that we're not the all-stars. We're not the MVPs. Even among the apostles, even among the prophets, they realized without the love of God and his grace, none of us None of us are going to go to heaven. Are we saved by grace? Absolutely, 100%, the Bible says. Grace and faith, hooking together. And I hope you see this concept. And so next week, Lord willing, we'll, we'll take this to the next level and talk about, well, what happens after I'm saved? Do I still need grace? And where, how does grace fit in my life after I've been saved? But this is the front part you need to understand. It's God stooping down to you. It's God looking at you. Imagine that little turtle on its back. His little legs are just wiggling, 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 and he can't flip over. And unless somebody comes and stoops down and turns over that little box turtle, that sun is going to beat on him and he's going to die. He is helpless. That's you and that's me. And we need to see that God has saved us, but he expects things from us. 
He expects us to be a people that are changed. He expects us to be a people that reflect God's grace. A lesson like this ought to make us thankful to God. What in the world would we be doing today if God hadn't loved us so much? God could have said, Mike, you got yourself in that mess. You get yourself out of that mess. You make the bed, you sleep in it. And there Mike is. What's he going to do? What's he going to do? He can't do anything. He could look at me and say, okay, Roger, you got yourself in that pickle. Get yourself out of that pickle. And I can't. I simply can't. God stooped down, not because he said, man, you're all-star material. You're, you're first chair. You're honorable. You're the best of the best. No, one final verse, if you will. Romans chapter 5 sums it so well. Romans chapter 5, where again we see this powerful concept where he says in verse 6, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone may dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. God wants you in heaven. And he's done everything he can do. Now the picture's put out before you. I've given you promises. I will be with you. I'll do all these things. Will you believe? Will you believe? And I think in a world today, we've lost that concept of what it means to be saved by grace. And I think in the world today, we get the idea that God does it all, and it really doesn't matter. You know, God loves me so much, I can just do whatever I want to do. I don't even have to go to church, because he just loves me so much. He's got to send me to heaven. And he's going to say, everyone get out of the way. Here comes Roger, because look who I found down on earth. It's not going to happen that way. Let me be the one who burst your bubble before God does. It's not going to happen that way. Unless we humble ourselves. And realize, God, forgive me. I am a sinner. Unless we realize, God, thank you, you give me a second chance. Unless we realize, God, if it wasn't for Jesus, we couldn't even mention heaven itself. Heaven is not only just out there. Heaven's a reality. Heaven's a possibility. Heaven's for us if we're saved by grace through faith. If we can help you in any way got some questions about this. We'd be love to sit down and talk to you about this. If you know enough to know, isn't this the day to be baptized? Isn't this the day to say, you know, God, you're right. Why am I trying to play this game? Why am I trying to be perfect? Because I can't be perfect. Why am I pretending if I sit in a church house, that makes me a Christian? If I sit in my car, does that make me a mechanic? No. If I sit in a math class, does that make me a mathematician? No. It doesn't. What makes me righteous is Jesus. We need Jesus. Won't you come as we stand and sing?